Hey there, welcome to another edition of Mill City Training Podcast. I have with me today John Nielsen. John, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you, JD? Great, great. John is a longtime member of Mill City. They're from sort of the beginning, right? Pretty close, pretty close. Cool, cool. Well, I asked John to come uh, chat with me this evening uh, just to dig a little bit deeper into the conversation we're having on Sunday mornings that we're calling Searching for God. And it's been this really great conversation uh, during the Lenten season of uh, what it looks like to renew relationship with God and what it looks like to renew faith uh, in Him. And so I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into one of the topics that comes up in this series and I, I guess the best way to pre, uh, preface this topic or talk about it is that oftentimes when we look back in our stories with the church or with faith, there is uh, what could be called the, the spiritual weight of expectations. So either indirectly or directly what gets communicated to us is this the weight of all these expectations that are placed on us uh, as we grow in our faith, things we have to do, things we should do, and the weight of that can, can get overwhelming sometimes. And, and John just has a piece of his story that really resonates with that story that I think all of us share in, in our own way. Um, so I asked John to come share a little bit about that, and then we'll dialogue a little bit about what that's meant in his life, what he's sort of done to, to uh, approach that in his own walk with God and some practices he's tried as well. So, John, tell us a little bit about your, your, your faith journey, your, your church background, and uh, how that relates to this conversation we're having searching for God. Yeah, I, I grew up in a suburb of Milwaukee and just became a Christian at a young age, um, if you want to put it that way, and was always kind of interested in in spiritual things, and my parents had, had become Christians through Campus Crusade when they were in college, and so that was a big kind of shaper of their faith, and, and uh, I, on the whole, they were real, even keeled about it, but they were definitely kind of uh, of the evangelical Christian um, mold, if you will, uh, at least in a lot of ways, and grew up in a church that, um, that was kind of... Evangelical culturally, it was a non-denominational church called Elmbrook Church, and um, in the Milwaukee area, big church, and uh, and yeah, I think had a pretty pretty common experience of uh, Sunday school, going to church regularly, being involved in youth group, and um, you know from an early age through high school, church camps, you know Bible studies and and all that kind of thing, and not, um, and liking it, and um, on the whole, and always, you know, some of my brothers kind of had different experiences in the church, but I, it was a safe place for me, and I, on the whole, and a, and a, something that, that was valuable to me, because I was kind of always interested in, in spirituality, and kind of fascinated by Jesus, but, um, so that's kind of some of some of the background of the environment. Did they make you do any weird like <laughs> high school youth group things like stuff your face with? 
the marshmallow sort of yeah, things. Fudgy bunny. <laughs> you're like, I'm not really sure what's going on right now, but it seems okay because these people are telling me to do it. Yeah, I remember doing a ton of that stuff. I was uh, I was at a middle school camp. I don't even think I was in middle school. I think it was late elementary school, and we did uh, a trust fall, and it was like a legit trust fall. Like we were up on a platform. <laughs> falling, trust falling off of this platform, and I there's like an ambulance waiting. <laughs> yeah, well, pretty much because yeah. I did my trust fall in my cabin at, at this camp of like you know eight little eight year olds dropped me. So hmm. pretty much explains all my <laughs> trust issues uh, in life. I've never it didn't really there. work out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. God, yeah. Demonstration gotten super poorly. So, <clears throat> so then you you kind of grow up in this environment. You you come out of this, and uh, what does this do, sort of, in your soul and your spirit as you're as you're moving forward in life, and and what ramifications does it have? I think when I reflect on that, it kind of in light of, of your topic of talking about spirituality and expectations, I just. I had a lot of fear and anxiety growing up, and I, and I think I always looked to the church and to Jesus or God or, you know, whatever was going on with, with my faith, if you will. Um, I wanted there to be some sort of solution there, although I don't think even as a young person you really have much of a grasp on what's going on inside of you. But, but I think... A, the biggest thing for me with the church and, and kind of expectations is a lot in the evangelical church, I feel like you're, you're told and to some degree demonstrated what you're supposed to be like, what a Christian's supposed to look like, what Jesus is supposed to look like, and, um, you know, whether that's how you behave or what activities you're engaged in or, you know, how you... How you behave compared to your peers at public school, or something like that. There's a lot of things that go into growing up in that environment. Mm. Some of them more cultural, some of them more kind of moral, or things you read in the Bible that, oh, I'm supposed to be like this, I'm supposed to be kind, and I'm supposed to be pure, and mm. all these different things. So I feel like you kind of have those expectations on your behavior. You definitely get a strong idea about what your life is supposed to look like as a Christian when you're growing up in the church. And then the other piece of that, I think that you're told it's all about just believing, you know, just having faith um, and, uh, you know, and grace or, you know, the million ways this is the same concept is reiterated, but this sort of, your church wouldn't frame it to you this way, but sort of if I just believe, if I kind of mentally or maybe there's some emotion that you try to drum up with it, but if I believe Jesus is God or these certain things about God or these certain things about how the world works, that that, that then you're supposed to be able to be this person that meets these sort of expectations about what a what a Christian or what a godly person is supposed to look like. And I think the trouble I came into was just believing in something and just knowing how you're supposed to behave. 
there's a disconnect there. You know, knowing what to do is not the power to do it. And just believing in facts about God, if you will. And that's not to question kind of how fervently people believe or how much they seek God in a certain way. But but just believing doesn't isn't transformation. It, mm. it doesn't inst- instantly or just on its own, and this is my opinion, I suppose, but engender the change that really produces mm. the kind of um, transformation of your life. So you have expectations, and then the only tool you're given to meet those expectations is just believing. Mm. And that, that, for me, was the big disconnect of my life and where I kind of search for so long what what's in between that you know what's after belief that gets me to the life that i'm supposed to be living you know so naturally when you when when that's the what's given to you about seeing life there's certain expectations to meet and the way to meet them is to believe more right it's it sets up the the sort of spiritual weight of expectations like we're talking about and that can be like i i even know from my life I used to beat myself up and usually the tool I used to do it with was you need to believe more in order to produce this transformation in you. But Right, I think it's a shame cycle essentially. Mm. I mean, you set people up for uh, all sorts of things they're supposed to do and be like and you don't really give them the practices and the experience, the, the tools to really experience God where that fruit is going to come naturally. So you're perpetually told, I need to be this way. You're not given the tools to get there. So you perpetually fall short. And after a while, you think, well, I believe, but I'm not, I'm perpetually falling short of these expectations that maybe at some point someone shared with me, but I've internalized, especially growing up in the church. So I'm falling short of my own expectations continually. I think I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and yet I'm not getting there. And so the only natural result is like, there's something wrong with me. And mm. and you get into shame about that. And shame is so toxic. It's so robbing of... It's like, to me, it's the most real thing keeping us from connecting and experiencing God is shame. Mm. It's just like this, this apartness that is in our, you know, emotionally, mentally kind of. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's toxic, I think, it, even if it's unintentionally so. I so, I so resonate with that in my own experience. And I think one, one thing I've noticed is that when you kind of get in that shame cycle... You, because you feel the weight of the expectations of everyone around you, it's so natural then to project those expectations also on God or being coming mm-hmm. from God. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then your perception of God is one that's like this really disappointed, irritated schoolmaster <laughs> who's going around with a yes. moral rule stick or rule yes. like yardstick and the shame cycle really kicks in because you just don't measure up to those expectations and then it, co- it gets compounded like you're saying like you don't feel like you believe enough and then are not worthy of being in God's presence but in reality there was a false perception of God's posture towards you that slipped into the midst of that because of the weight of these expectations that were implicitly re- like inhabited by you or otherwise so right right I agree 
completely. So what what did that mean for you? And what was what was sort of where did that all kind of come to a head? And then what happened next? <clears throat> would you say? Well, I, I mean, I think that went on for me for a long time. I mean, that's what's so interesting about that cycle is you mm. can internalize that, you know, at like five. And mm. for me, it wasn't until kind of my late 20s where I kind of, I e- experienced uh, a hardship I brought on myself that was kind of uh, tragic enough, but a complete mm. gift to just... Um, just to allow me to say, however I'm living my life, whatever I'm doing, it's not working. And mm-hmm. and I needed a sort of observable event to kind of give me permission to just say, this isn't working. And I've mm-hmm. tried it for 20 years, and that's long enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, as much as this is the tool I've been given, it's a broken tool and I just need to put it down. It may be the tool that I love, you know? It's the tool I grew up with, beating up on yourself, like you said, you know? Okay, well, tomorrow I I didn't do the thing today, but I really, you know? Mm -hmm. That whole cycle of falling short and making the millionth resolution to be different and to try harder is a broken tool, at least for me. And, um, And I really needed kind of to give myself permission to let that go and to say that I tested that, I've got to try something else. Um, So that was kind of the start of the journey for me of just saying, you know, this isn't working to praying and reading my Bible isn't, isn't, it's like, I think those things have merit, but, um, but for me, just that wasn't enough or I was wrapping that simple and pretty much solitary advice for spirituality up in, well, just believe or just try harder or just read your Bible to reinforce what you know about God as if knowing about God is is experiencing Him, you know. So um, Hmm. that was kind of the starting place of just saying, just giving myself permission to not go, not do it that way anymore, you know. And then you did the courageous thing that often doesn't happen in people's lives where uh, it's, it's honestly a hard turn to make. A lot of people I've heard in their stories reach a similar, through different circumstances, but a similar conviction about it's not working or this, this shame pattern I've developed or trying to will myself through belief into a different way of acting. And you chose the road of, well, I'm going to take ownership then for what a new way looks like and started to do some experimentation with practices. And so I think it's just, as your friend, I really love the story that's, that's been, God's been writing in your life. And I would love for you to just share uh, briefly about a few different things that you've tried, a few different practices and what, what's, what changed you've noticed and how people can practically live into that too yeah I think after kind of my kind of code for living started with I'm not going to do something that doesn't work anymore and then 
kind of developed a second part of I will try other things and I will not stop doing things that work. Hmm. Even if they're things I'm unfamiliar with or I really, you know, I loved the church. I wanted to find what I needed in the church, but I, I didn't necessarily find that. I found a lot of good things and I continue to, but I didn't really find what I needed in in the strict sense of the church. But I had to kind of continue doing what, what things I found that worked. And, I mean, the first thing for me was was kind of 12-step spirituality, um, it, which it, the 12 steps, well, I mean, first I would start with just the 12-step the community, 12-step meetings and groups, um, just showed me a, a group of people that are completely interested only in transformation, you know, and um, to me it was a lot of what I think I searched for in the church and, and didn't necessarily find, and I don't say that disparagingly, I just, this just was kind of the facts of my story, and I, I found people who definitively proved to me by their stories that people can change and that they're transform, transformed by living in a spiritual manner, and um, so I think that community and then the 12 steps themselves, which sound weird or maybe or foreign or something, but they're a lot of a lot of simple things. I mean, to me, the 12 steps are like the most succinct statement of, of practical Christian living there is. But things just like admitting I'm powerless and turning my will over to God, making a, a fearless moral inventory of my life, and then sharing that with myself, with God and another person, asking God to remove my defects, and then that being it, not removing them myself, asking God to remove them, making amends for harm I'd done in the past, practicing prayer and meditation on a daily basis, and and um, my prayer life completely changed, um, and, and trying to be of service. I mean, that's kind of the essentials of the 12 steps, and. Um, but really kind of doing that, uh, you know, having a, a, a plan, um, having a mentor-type person in, in a 12-step program lead me through those steps and kind of demonstrate through his own life what that looked like was, was incredibly helpful for me to clear out a lot of wreckage, for me to kind of get to a starting place and, and really go through the process of saying, the way that spirituality works, in my opinion, is a, is not about self-will. It's about turning your will over to God and tapping into that experience of living on a spiritual basis. And as much as I talked about that, I didn't know a darn thing about it. You know, mm -hmm. I just didn't. That was one of the hardest things to give up because I loved spirituality and theology and and. All that those kind of topics for so long, and I had to admit that there was no evidence of that in my life. I mean, the fruit of the spirit are peace, patience, joy, compassion, self-control, loving kindness. These kind of things, contrary to popular belief, you know, not Bible studies and worship leading and deep thoughts, you know, and. Mm -hmm. I may have had that stuff in my life, but I didn't, I wasn't experiencing peace and stuff like that. So to just kind of 
go through that process of what it really means to have a practical spirituality that works where I'm getting getting power from from my spiritual life rather than trying to to do it on my own, which is something I'd said so many times and why it clicked later, I don't know. But that was kind of the big the big first thing. Um, the other things have for that have been key for me, um, mindfulness meditation has been huge for me and we could talk about whether <laughs> Christians should be doing mindfulness meditation or something. If that's of interest to anyone and whether that jives with, with your Christian faith, I'd love to talk about that, but we don't need to get too much into that. But for me, that it was so huge to have a contemplative practice that helped me experience peace and calming of the mind, which is an, an organ just like any other organ in our body and we don't fault people for going to the gym um, and we don't question that that improves their lives so I really needed that especially as a more anxiety oriented yeah. personality type for someone who's not familiar with that just give a really like 101 sure. what that experience sure. is like for you sure I just spend about 10 to 20 minutes daily um, either kind of just lying on the floor on the floor in a quiet room we have in our house and kind of scanning through my body just noticing whatever kind of sensations are there or or and or just sitting and following my breath just sort of keeping my attention focused on my breath and when the mind wanders bringing it back to my breath and not trying to um, to force myself to do anything but just gently and kindly returning to to what you're focused on but there's lots of great christian contemplative practices too um that if that's kind of more your thing could are kind of analogous yeah I, one thing i mentioned is i know a lot of us are journeying through um this emotionally healthy spirituality right. day by day uh devotional and uh, it, it invites you every practice of the daily office, which can be twice a day, to start with two minutes of silence and end with two minutes mm -hmm. of silence. Mm -hmm. It's been yeah. very interesting as we've started that as a congregation, uh, how many people have come forth and just said, that's super hard. Mm -hmm. Like silence yeah. is so hard. And um, even uh, we had a conversation as a staff where we were saying the same thing. We're like, just this mm -hmm. is very for different reasons for different people, it's just really hard to stay silent and create space for, for God to be present with you. And one, one real practical way that's similar to the mindfulness uh, exercise you're talking about is just focusing on the breathing. Uh, it's really amazing how that can kind of center you as you're saying when you become distracted. And it kind of just uh, away from... Uh, like examples in Christian history, a lot of meditation is centered around breathing. Mm -hmm. um, and sort of the idea is breathing in God's presence and uh, exhaling um, sin or forgiveness in some instances. Mm -hmm. But focusing on the breathing, even um, it goes all the way back to some scholars look at the, the name of God in the Old Testament yeah, is Yahweh, yeah. which is actually what the breath, like, 
breathing in and out like Yahweh, breathing in and out sounds like in Hebrew. And so there's this like uh, all the way back to Genesis where God gives us breath. So this this really concrete way to focus on step number one, if you will, admitting your need for God in a really tangible way, just like we have breath and we can't live without it. It's the same admission of need for God. And it's very helpful, very practically, when we're trying to do silence and we have 10,000 things from the day just trying to bombard our attention. So, I, yeah, it's, it's, that's, that's great. That's really helpful. Yeah, if there was ever a need for it, ever a time where we were in need of, of something like that, it's, it's now silence and solitude are things that Jesus practiced. I mean, mm. it... Yeah, it's that's one thing that's come out for me kind of as I've gotten further along this same journey and found various things that have worked for me. Um, just returning to to Jesus and to some degree Paul and seeing Jesus felt he needed to do all these things, like mm-hmm. taking time to himself. Praying in a manner that I think in a lot of ways differs differs from how we pray now. Um, Mm. And, uh, you know, going to great lengths to to have a contemplative time and some things about his community. And and I don't know, there's a whole set of daily practices that Jesus went through. And how is it that we think that we're going to, you know, imitate Christ kind of in the big moments? without imitating these elements of his lifestyle that he deemed to be part of his spirituality. I, there's a Dallas Willard book called The Spirit of the Disciplines that I just mm-hmm. read that touches on a lot of that. It's fascinating stuff. And I think that's one of the, been the hugest thing for me is just like there are practices that, um, that bring us into, into touch with the Spirit of God that cultivate our, our ability to um, to live by the Spirit and to connect with the Spirit and um, that can help us grow more sensitive and more ability, you know, and develop our ability to say, okay, you know, today I've been running a lot of things kind of on my own will and um, I want to be able to turn it over and, and kind of be the the person blown about by the wind, to use Jesus' metaphor, or only doing the things the Father does, all that kind of stuff. It's like, there. I think there is a different way. There are things to do and to practice that are about the experience of God. And um, it's not to take anything away, per se, of just believing. But I don't think that's really... Um, well, I don't have to offer too much of my opinion on it, but I... For me, it's been totally transformative to find out there's a lot there's a lot more out there to do. Hmm. Yeah, so it's really great to hear that's been... What I sort of hear you saying is that's been a baseline to reimagine and experience actual transformation in your life. This, this creating space consistently to encounter God in this understanding that uh, admitting one's need for God to act in order for transformation to happen. And, um, yeah, I just think that's so, so crucial and yet so hard to live yeah. into sometimes. And it, it in and of itself can become another one of those things that sort of get in the cycle of, like... It can, but, but I feel like 
one of the craziest things for me is, I mean, when you say it's, it's hard in the sense that it's a, it can be challenging to keep disciplines going. But the things, thing I found with, with meditating, with a, with community where you can share openly about your own experience rather than kind of sharing your thoughts, and you can hear other people's experience, taking time in solitude, um, these kind of practices it's kind of proven to me that the rest of life doesn't need to be so hard. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like it, it's given me a whole different perspective on, on the, the things that I thought, you know, Christians are supposed to look like there is a different path to having those things show up in your life. And mm -hmm. the, and the, you know, the spirituality of kind of real living, I think, is makes those things easier. They're supposed to come like fruit, you know? Like, it's fruit. It's not like, you know, it's something you make out of a meat grinder. You know, that's not the metaphor. Yeah. It's supposed to just grow. So, um, anyways, not to cut you off there, but... Oh, no. That's uh, good. That's good. If, if you would give, like someone who's really interested and resonates with this story that we've been talking about of, of leaning into a different sort of transformation. And uh, if you would give them one thing to try uh, this week that could maybe uh, just sort of turn the corner or, or, or step into this different sort of way of approaching transformation that you're talking about. I think it would be trying some sort of contemplative mm -hmm. prayer or meditation. And for me, so many other good things have come to, you know, being healthy and making better decisions. It's like when I have that space where I have a calmness and I'm able to connect with the present moment and connect with the presence of God and I can develop that like a muscle then so many other things fall into place and it's just incredible. And I do think that I just heard some quote from like Blaise Pascal that was like all problems in the world can be traced back to man's inability to sit in silence by himself in a room or something like that. <laughs> but That's good. I seriously think it, it yeah. that has been that was like the grease that loosened up so many things yeah. for me. It was just a meditative time. The other thing I would say is find good books. I found an incredible wealth of authors who all seem to be communicating with themselves about the real business of living and the real mm -hmm. wisdom that there is for living. And I, I didn't find that at all in the evangelical church. It's like mm -hmm. all these authors are talking to each other, but it's a dialogue happening outside of the door of the church I grew mm -hmm. up in. And that's not a knock on, on that, but... The, that stuff is out there, um, and you could look me up or something. I have a reading list of stuff that I just love that's just been total game changers. And what you read matters, and it contributes to the time that is peaceful and mm -hmm. contemplative. I mean, What's the one you would suggest off the bat? Well, if you're interested in, if you're curious about 12-step spirituality um, and... You know, but you're not going to wind up in a group like that. I love the book Breathing Underwater by Richard Rohr. 
R-O-H-R is how you spell his last name. His kind of perspective on on life and the wisdom for living is, to me, very mind-blowing and has been transformative. In that book, he touches on the 12 steps, although it's mostly his thoughts. It's not, not as much uh, based. They're kind of a jumping-off point for him, but that's a wonderful book. Another one of my favorites is Anthony DeMello, Awareness. That's Awareness. A, uh, it's a great, pithy little book. Hmm. Well, John, thank you so much for taking this opportunity to share a little bit of your story and the wisdom. I'm just so proud to have you in the Mill City community and have the boldness to not only walk through um, this part of your faith journey, but also have the boldness to share with others and come alongside them as they're wondering the same thing. So I'll pray uh, to conclude our time and then we'll be done. God, thank you so much. For your leadership in our lives, God, uh, forgive us when we um, perceive you um, through eyes of shame and not eyes of grace. And uh, forgive us when our posture towards you is one uh, of of turning away. And um, God, help us to create space in our lives to get to know you for who you truly are one who loves us, who wants to empower us towards transformation, towards peace um, in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's podcast was brought to you by Mill City Church, and Mill City Church has a number of resources available to you. For life on mission, participating with God in your neighborhood, your workplace, in your family, wherever he's called you to participate with him. Hey, listener, could you do us a huge favor today? If you've listened to this podcast, if you've liked what you've heard and you'd like to hear more, we'd love to hear from you just to just to know who's listening. But also, uh, if you have any suggestions about topics we could be covering, we'd love to hear that from you. Today's uh, music is brought to you by bensoundmusic.com. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe and listen in next time.